Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Hello, Thinklings listener to episode 50. We've got a great episode today where we have the chance to interview and talk with Tim Challies, a blogger, author, and pastor from Toronto, Canada. And uh, the whole episode is us interacting with Tim about his reading, writing, habits, and his life, his ministry, etc. Here's a snapshot of what's in the episode. For about the first 15 minutes, it's books and business, and all four of us jump in on that. You can enjoy that. Just of note, probably around the 940 mark, we ask the Canadian pastor if he thinks the hype on Tim Hortons is real. You might enjoy that. A couple other highlights throughout the episode. Uh, around the 15-minute mark, we talk about his writing process. And in that discussion, he talks about why he prefers Apple over uh, Microsoft. Once we get into the 30s, probably around the 31-minute mark, we talk about balancing life and ministry uh, and not sacrificing family probably around the 35-minute mark, we talk about reading and writing through pain and loss. And at 39 minutes, we talk about a couple other books, Devoted, Godly Men and Their Godly Moms, and around 41, Knowing and Enjoying God, his new devotional that just came out recently. Around 44, we talk about how his wife impacted his ministry. We talk a little bit more after that about his blog. And then uh, we ask him about some general advice, if he could go back and change anything, start doing something in 2002 when he started his blog uh, that he's been doing now that is highly valuable. Uh, he, he answers that question around the 54-minute mark, and his answer is awesome. You want to listen to that. We hope you enjoy this episode. As always, thanks for being here, and we will see you next week on the Thinklings Podcast. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode 50. We have a special guest for our 50th episode that uh, we're going to let you know who that is in just a moment. He is, uh, this is our first Zoom podcast. So uh, he's Zooming in from, I'll just say another country at this point. Ooh. And uh, I don't know, maybe they'll start narrowing down in their minds who they think <laughs> that is. And, uh, but so we're going to do what we normally do. We're going to start with some uh, books and business. And uh, then when we get there, uh, our guest, I'll introduce our guest, and then he'll jump into books and business as well. So uh, that being said, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Okay. Uh, should I go first? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Okay. So here's a book that I've been reading recently. It's uh, Worldliness by C.J. Mahaney. And uh, just, to, just I've only read the first chapter, but... There's some college students who asked me what I thought of the book and I hadn't read it. So I got it on Kindle. Sorry, Tim. Uh, <laughs> manager of the bookstore, rolling his eyes. But uh, I did like what I read in the first chapter where he uh, really talks about worldliness from First John and gets, gets to the heart of the issue. It's not a do's and a don'ts list, but it's about what's going on inside of you. And uh, I presume that in the rest of the book, he's going to give some applications for that and how to, how to attack worldliness. Uh, but I did like the first chapter. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say. I won't give it a rating, uh, since I haven't finished it, but it's, it's, it's good. 
it's good. I've heard really good things about that book. I haven't read it myself, but uh, it's definitely a big issue within Christianity, um, just worldliness. And we have a lot of Christians that are very worldly. So um, yeah, that sounds like a great title. I'd like to check it out sometime. I myself have sold several copies, but I've never actually read it myself either. Well, I'm going to finish uh, a little book for New Theologians by Kelly Capick. So I talked about this a long time ago on the podcast, and I've just finally finished it. Um, I'm going to read a couple of, uh, he's got some reading tips on how to read theology, as well as like the purpose of theology that's, I thought, been very helpful. Uh, He said, when you look at a book on theology, begin with the index, see it, see if it, um, see if they engage, and then how they engage scripture. If, for example, they never reference the Old Testament, then you have good reason to think that the theology they are developing is a little bit distant from the scriptures and open to all kinds of problems. I thought that was really good advice. Uh, and then he gives this really great quote by John Owen. He's, he's talking about how you have to get into the scriptures regularly. It's a really important priority for your life. And he says this, uh, he quotes Owen saying, everyone who devotes himself to the study of holy literature should keep it firmly before his mind in all of his reading and meditation that the all holy God is in a special manner close to him as he works, thus remembering that in his holy scriptures, God speaks to the sinner no less directly than if he chose to employ a voice resounding from the heavens. The gospel student will be overcome with due humility and will conduct his studies with proper reverence for the Lord's power and majesty. I like that because um, I think sometimes we overly desire the direct statements from God, but he's saying when you're studying the Bible, when the Bible addresses your heart, like that's the Lord through the spirit addressing you. So I thought I really liked the book. I would give it at least a five on the goodness scale. Um, and I may adjust that in the future, but anyway, sorry that I know that's, I told you to have that done a while ago listener, but it took me a while. All right. So uh, the book that I uh, have brought to books and business today is interpreting old Testament wisdom literature. It's edited by David Firth and Lindsay Wilson. Uh, This is one of those books. You ever buy a book and then realize you already own it? Oh, no. Yeah, this was one of those. So um, anyway, uh, I was working through Lady Wisdom and studying Lady Wisdom this summer. And uh, this was one of those titles. Uh, When I finally started working through the title I already owned, uh, I found a lot of really helpful stuff. And I remember checking this book out years ago, but um, it didn't, it just didn't connect with me. But this time, as I was studying Lady Wisdom, uh, Ernest Lucas has an article on the book of Proverbs, uh, which was helpful. I didn't do anything with Job because uh, my studies weren't going there. But Catherine Dell's article on reading Ecclesiastes with the scholars, uh, she made several parallels uh, in Ecclesiastes to Lady Wisdom and the wisdom literature. Ros- Rosalind Clark was very helpful to me, uh, seeking wisdom in the Song of Songs. And so what is the message of the Song of Songs and how does that connect to the wisdom literature? Uh, it was an excellent article. I I thought she was really, um, she was on. And then the Ruth article by Gregory Goswell, is Ruth also among the wise? And so this is kind of an interesting uh, listener. The order of the Hebrew Bible goes Proverbs, Ruth, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes. And so Ruth is kind of inserted in the wisdom corpus in, in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and so Greg Goswell is kind of interacting with why is Ruth, Ruth in this location in the Hebrew canon? Is she also part of the wisdom literature? And she's not part of the wisdom literature, but there's a connection between Ruth and uh, the Proverbs 31 woman. And so it kind of, I, I thought it was really good. I thought it was very helpful. 
So I think those were the main articles that I looked at in this book, Interpreting Old Testament Wisdom Literature. Uh, so if you do, uh, if you're wondering just like what I was reading or studying this summer and would like a summary, that article would be really helpful, or this book would be helpful, Interpreting Old Testament Wisdom Literature. And I'd recommend it, probably just like a four on the on the thinkling scale. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a specialty kind of a title. If you're not studying some of that wisdom literature, it's probably not going to be that helpful for you. Let me introduce our guest now, and then he can jump in on books and business. So uh, we're the Thinklings podcast. We're excited to have this special guest for episode 50. His name is Tim Challies. Ch Tim Challies is a blogger, author, and book reviewer. Tim created his website in 2002 and has written on his website or blog daily since 2003. And I pulled that off of your website. That seems like to me an incredibly, incredibly awesome stat. Every day since 2003, which includes his well-known a la carte post where he serves up a number of great reading options, Kindle deals, and many other great offerings. He's published a number of books. Uh, here's a, a list of a few of them uh, that I've read. There's Do More Better, A Practical Guide to Productivity, The Spiritual Discipline of Discernment, Devoted, A Great, great Men and Their Godly Moms, Epic, An Around-the-World Journey Through Christian History, and he just came out with a new devotional book called Knowing and Enjoying God, Tim is also a husband, father, and pastor, and he pastors Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto, Ontario. Okay, so I wrote that, and I, did, I didn't like reading through it, but how did how was that, Tim? Was that a good introduction? Uh, pretty much covered it, I guess, yeah. Yeah. So here's the question. You're from Canada. This is an icebreaker question. Okay? Right. Is the hype on Tim Hortons for real as a Canadian? Mm. Ooh. Yeah, it's not my favorite. I mean, it's it's a Canadian icon as, as restaurants go. You got to go there. When Americans come visit, they want to drop in at Timmy's and see what there is. But, you know, I think you always leave just a little bit disappointed. Wow. You've heard it right here. I, uh, I actually have had real Tim Hortons like in Canada and in Michigan. It's pretty good. The Timbits are addict. They're nice. Yeah, they're good. They're fine. Yeah, I would I would say from a coffee standpoint, that I'm always I, I I'm not always super impressed, but it is is pretty good. I I do anytime I get the chance to go to a Hortons, I I usually do. So I don't know, little Tim, do you have any? Uh, we had to distinguish some way between. We were doing this before the episode started. Of how do we say Tim and which one are we referencing? So our Tim, what do you think of Hortons? I'm I've been called Little Tim for a while, and I'm drinking some Tim Hortman's uh, lemon something tea that I think Andy got me when he was in Michigan sometime or whatever. Anyway, I I rate not even drinking coffee right no, now. No, I'm not. I'm actually trying to fight a cold, so I am coffeeless right now. Um, I actually roast my own coffee beans, so I'm usually drinking my own coffee, and I like my own coffee, and then I can vary it and uh, make what I like. Listener, we always track how many times Tim Little gives us eye rolls. We just got our first eye roll, and it wasn't from Tim Little, it was from Tim Challies. I just what like he, scooping in. We're talking about Tim Hortons, and by the way, Canadians would never call it Hortons, they'd always just call it Tim's or Timmy's. Um, we're talking about Tim Hortons, and he comes in with the I roast my own. I like it, it's a, it's a boss move. Then, well, if you've if you've ever met uh Tim Little, he's he's quite the boss, so. Uh, he's something else, but <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's informative for me. Don't call it Hortons. Call it, um, uh, call it Timmy's. That's Tim's or I'll, Timmy's. I'll make yeah. the adjustment. 
Yeah. All right. So, uh, Tim Challies, why don't you jump in for books of business? Yeah, I just read um, The Death of Porn by Ray Ortland, which I thought was an excellent book. There's been a, a lot of writing on pornography. I wrote a book about it back in the day, one of the first books I wrote. And back then, there really wasn't much on the subject in the Christian world. So I felt there was a, an opening there and uh, really had a passion to write for young men, especially. Um, more recently, we've been inundated with books on pornography. And, um, you know, I think uh, any new book has to kind of stand out from the crowd in order to uh, to do much in the field now. But his really does. It's uh, written as letters from an older man to younger men or letters from a father to his son, that kind of thing. A very paternal and pastoral kind of book. And I found it very, very good. The kind of thing I would gladly hand out to Younger men, especially older men as well, who are struggling with porn. And by struggling, I mean, you know, just kind of going, rotating through accountability groups, probably never seeing much real victory over it. I think it's the kind of book that a lot of men will really do well with, who need an older man speaking to them and also just kicking them hard in the rear sometimes. And I think the book does both of those, you know, pat them on the back and kick them on the backside. I think it does both really well. I think that's going to have to be the, the quote we pull from the episode right there. You know, you throw that up so. on Facebook, you know, I think that'll hit really well. <laughs> it's like the, uh, it's like the business end of encouragement basically. So. Yeah. There you go. So I think I mentioned in the email, one of the emails I sent you, we have this arbitrary scale where we rank books. And yeah. so a one is still good. You know, you're glad you read it. A 10 is, I need to own this. You should own it. You need to read it every year. We call it the Thinkling's Goodness Scale. If you had to put that book on the goodness scale, where would you put it? Yeah, I'm just looking at your scale now. I guess maybe somewhere like a six or a seven with the caveat that it's a book for men. It's There's books on pornography or sexual sin written for both. Uh, some written just for women, some written just for men, some for both audiences. If you're a guy and that's your struggle, then definitely uh, this book would really do you well. I'd highly recommend it with those caveats. Awesome. Okay. So thank you, by the way, for jumping in on that. Now we have just a whole bunch of questions we'd like to ask you, which uh, for the listener, he's been sent these questions. I don't know if I already mentioned that. So it's not like we're just blindsiding him unless I do, unless I just rip something out of nowhere. Um, you got some gotcha journalism for me here. Amen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, with that, I think Tim, our Tim, little Tim, there we go. Little Tim, that's going to totally You're, you're first in the queue. So you want to jump in whenever you want to. I've been called little Tim like my whole life. So this is fine. I'm used to it. It's like a blast from the past. You know, when you're like going to the nurse's office and somebody says, uh, you're, you know, your last name comes first, little Tim. Yeah, so that's uh, it's been a long time since I've gone to a nurse's office. I'm just gonna have to. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those junior high things, and yeah. Anyway, okay. So my first question: uh, You're a writer. You've written several books. Uh, what is your writing process? You just released the one book. Is there something that you're working on right now? Uh, and then for me, like, is there some kind of a book that you'd like to write someday? All right. So I'm a blogger first. That's my main thing. That's the, the main business. That's where the main income comes from, etc. So I try to give that the best of myself every day or every week, block off a couple of days where I'm just focused on writing some good blog material. And then if I've got a book in the hopper, then probably later in the week is when I turn to that. And um, 
it's really just been through the pandemic that I gained the bandwidth to be able to do, I think, books and blogging equally, kind of make them equal partners and give the best of my attention to both. Um, I was doing a lot of speaking, traveling and stuff before, and I just didn't have the bandwidth to do both. So books were maybe getting the the short trip a little bit, but, um, yeah, I think both are now sort of equal. Uh, I do my best writing in the mornings. So I try and block off the mornings, uh, especially kind of between seven 30 and 11 30 sometime in there. That's where my brain tends to be firing and creativity is, is at its highest. And so I just try and sit down and, and bang stuff out. Then as for books, yeah, I just released one. I've got another one I'm working on, but not ready to talk about. Cool. That's fine. Thanks for uh, letting us know that. That's interesting that you spent a couple of days just working on your blog articles. I mean, that's like a focused, focused attention that, that you apply to that. Um, yeah, that's my full-time thing. You... That's, that's what I do for a living is the blog. Um, books really are the second thing. And so, yeah, I try to give it the best of my attention and try and put the best material I can possibly do out on the blog. Did you ever, so I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, going back into earlier days of your life, did you ever imagine that your full-time job would be a blogger? I don't think in my earlier days, anybody knew that there would be such a thing as a blog. So <laughs> no, um, the idea of being a writer isn't totally foreign to me. My family um, has a few writers in it. So I was at least familiar with the category and always loved writing. Um, probably hadn't really thought I would end up in that field. It was more geared towards history and then toward computers. And uh, so kind of going in other directions. And yeah, the, the writing thing just kind of happened. So the computers part, that's really interesting. Were you kind of always been a bit of a techie? Yeah, I always had a, a real interest in computers, especially. And from the time I was a kid, started building my own. I mean, not down to soldering things, but just, you know, like a building PCs. And I eventually started doing that as kind of a side thing. And then um, ended up going to school for computers and getting certified in a bunch of network administration things and windows and all of that. And for a number of years was working in that field uh, until the, the blog displaced it. Huh. That's really interesting. I, I really like computers. Well, I should say I did really like computers. I remember coming to seminary and I had like four or five computers, uh, mostly Macintoshes. I'm kind of an Apple guy, but uh, you know, I, I built a computer and like what you're talking about there. So uh, that's just really interesting how it's like to be a, I don't know, would you connect that computer knowledge to the blogging? I'm Because our age is so technological. I've noticed my computer knowledge being helpful in all of my different jobs with even crazy Zoom and it's freaking out and everything. So um, has that been, uh, I'd say, a vital part of the, the, the success, if you want to call it success or however? Yeah, I can see how it was helpful in the preparation, um, both on the hardware side, uh, learning to to discern good hardware from bad and helpful hardware from not so helpful. And then also on the software side, learning the distinction or learning the value of a really good app versus a very mediocre app. And one of the reasons I'm really stuck on Mac hardware is that when it comes to being a writer, the Mac software is far more developed than on the PC side or the Windows side. And so there's some really good apps that are available to me that wouldn't be available if I was a, a PC guy. I actually tried transitioning maybe about five years ago and um, sort of got rid of my hardware, jumped into the PC world, but could never find an app that was as good as the apps I use on the, the Mac side. So ended up going back. What app do you use on the Mac side? I do the great majority of my writing in Ulysses. 
which is just a full screen, simple, minimalist writing app. And I find it extremely helpful compared to something like Word, which does 10,000 different things and does most of them sort of with mediocrity. It's, it's, it's meant to be a very generalist kind of app. Ulysses is very specific to writing. That's all it does. And I find it really, really helpful. Cool. So we um, coming back to like your writing is it sounds like where do you write? Do you like? I know it's the pandemic right now, but would you go to like a coffee shop? Do you have any guilty pleasures or um, talk to us about any of that? I write in my basement, which is where I am right now. I've got an office down here in the basement. This is where I spend my days. Um, we previously didn't have any extra rooms in the house. So this is where I ended up. Um, now we do have a couple extra rooms, so I could move upstairs, but I just really like it down here. It's quiet. It's a little bit larger than the, the bedroom. So this is where I spend my days. I have worked at coffee shops in the past. Uh, the one I did the bulk of my writing in didn't make it through the pandemic. It's now a middle Eastern grocery store. And I don't think they'd appreciate me showing up to write my book in the, in the deli <laughs> there, which is where my table used to be. So, um, I have been in, I did explore the store and, uh, you know, lots of good food there, but not a good place to do writing. So yeah, I don't have a coffee shop right now. And uh, so I pretty much do everything right here, uh, in terms of, uh, habits or, um, whatever you ask. Yeah. I, I, I feel like we should clarify, yes, please clarify That's what a guilty pleasure is. So it's like, do you, like when you get in the zone, like you mentioned coffee, but some people are like uh, snack people or you got to have the big, like 32 ounce drink or, you know, some like weird little niche that you, you use when you write. Is there, is there anything like that? No, not really. I'm pretty boring. So I start at 7.45, roundabout every day. Um, and I get my daughter set. She heads off to school. I start to write with a cup of coffee. So I've had one earlier in the morning. I have one at 7.45. At 9 o'clock, I take my first break. I go up and I get a can of carbonated water and a very precise amount. I won't tell you what, exactly the same amount every day of pita chips. And uh, I eat that at 9.00. And then I work until 1130 and I take a break for lunch. And then my day sort of unravels like that. I, I like precision. I just, I like to be in routines. And the more I can hold to those routines, the more I can, I guess, get into patterns of, uh, of inspiration and uh, just good productivity. So it's a little weird, but I think a lot of writers end up like that. You just, you find what works and you stick with it. Yeah. You sound very disciplined. And so I think that's a really important part of the whole process. So that's motivating even for me. So that's good. Uh, so on to the next question we have here. What is your personal greatest production? Was it a blog post? Was it a book? If you, uh, like, a, like of all of you, the books that you've read, written, all of the blogs that you've read, you're like, this was one of the ones that meant the most to me. So the book and DVD series Epic was by far the biggest and neatest thing I've done. That was traveling the world um, 24 countries or something researching church history. It was an incredible experience and really loved the way the book and DVD came together. Um, unfortunately it released on the week during the pandemic that Amazon stopped shipping everything except pandemic supplies. So it, uh, kind of went out the gate with a thud <laughs> rather than a bang. Um, you know, it started to catch up as it just hit the streaming platforms and stuff, but, uh, uh, probably the favorite writing I've ever done. There's some isolated articles here and there that I, I feel really reflect the writer I want to be. There's a certain 
um, certain inspirations in my mind and I want to be like them in my writing. I want to match their voice. I want to match their cadence. I want to write about the things they write about. I'm sort of leaning toward that. And sometimes I feel like I, I get there, but I think the forthcoming book that will be out in summer 2022, I think that's the one that will most reflect who I'm really trying to be as a writer. And hopefully, um, yeah, what I've been, what I've been attempting to be all this time, but may finally have gotten close to succeeding at. Well, that's really exciting. We'll be definitely looking forward to that title. I do manage the bookstore here on campus and we, we sell on amazon.com. Our, our primary audience would be our churches and uh, students. Um, but I, We'll def- we've promoted several of your titles in the past and we'll definitely be promoting that one as well. And I know you can't tell us anything about it right now, but we're definitely looking forward to that. That's really cool. Good, thank you. I can summarize that to say, there's a reason why it's called books and business. <laughs> okay, I'd, I'd actually like to jump back to Epic for a moment. And, uh, and again, you, I think you saw this, uh, maybe not in full form in the questions, but I'll ask, I'll, I'll segue this with, are you a Lord of the Rings fan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a Christian, so we knew he was a Lord of the Rings fan, right? So, uh, <laughs> give or take. But uh, so, when the Lord of the Rings movies comes out, ca- came out, let's get the tense of the verbs right. Uh, they came out with the theatricals, and then they had this thing called the extended edition, where you know I own both the DVD and the Blu-ray extended editions. Ask me why. I have no good rational answer to why I have both of those. I actually have some electronically in the cloud out there. So, but it's like 15 extra minutes of content, you know, that extended edition. So I thought it would be fun is to ask you, let's get some epic extended edition. So when you, we had another writer on the show and he talked about the editing process and how not everything in your little child of the book actually makes it or for the epic, all the, the series, all of the content. So are there any like extended edition stories or blurbs or memories that didn't quite make it that you're like, Ooh, I wish that would have anything come to mind. Yeah. So we did go to New Zealand and we did get a tour of Hobbiton and the Lord of the Rings set and everything. Um, it was pretty, pretty phenomenal. Um, I've got a, a screen in my office that shows pictures. And just a few minutes ago, some of the Hobbiton pictures are up there. It's, it's a phenomenal place. They did a great job. I mean, it's touristy, but it is the movie set and it's, it's pretty impressive. So, um, I was next on my bucket list is to go back to New Zealand and visit some of the other locations and, uh, you know, just some of the locations around and about the country there where they, they recorded. Um, there were quite a lot of things that didn't make it, including the, the Hobbiton tour. Um, there's just no reason to put that in in Epic. Um, a lot of the stuff that got cut was just like me falling off things or, you know, walking into the camera or botching my lines again and again. So somewhere Steven who recorded it all, he made a blooper reel somewhere. I don't think he's ever put it out there, but just a lot of that kind of absurd stuff. I'm sure there were some objects we found and some neat things we saw that didn't make it into the final cut. I honestly don't remember what those would be at this point. Sure. So just going back a moment, you said you ran into the camera. There's actually a scene in the Fellowship of the Ring where, um, what's the actor's name? Uh, Aragorn. Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen actually runs into the camera and you can just barely catch it for a half a second. So you never know. Maybe, maybe that could be the, the, the shot to, to include. 
So, so of all the places that you visited with Epic, what would be if there's in regards to church history, like, Hey, if you're going to take one trip and I, I want to outrule Israel because I feel like that's a given, but of all of the places you could go uh, to, to see some monumental places of church history, where would you recommend or some of the most moving or meaningful places? So our focus was Christian history. So obviously post Christ. And so Israel didn't have as much as you might think. Um, the other stipulation was there had to be something still to see. And the older it is in history, the farther you go back, the less that has survived. And so some people pointed out there really wasn't much between the very early church and the reformation. And that's just because there isn't a whole lot left. Um, you know, the, the um, holy city type stuff in Jerusalem, they hoarded all sorts of stuff there. And um, a lot of it is not even legit. You know, there's just a lot of silliness there as well. But, you know, obviously there's some things, some locations there, but then most of it has just disappeared into history until the time of the Reformation when people began collecting stuff again. Um, I would say the best place to go is probably England, where you just get the best bang for your buck, so to speak. There's just so much in a very condensed area. You can drive around in England, you're never more than an hour away from some cool church history site. So you can plot a whole trip through England, spend days just going from site to site, person to person. Um, if not that, then go to mainland Europe and, um, you know, travel through Germany, Switzerland, in that area, into France, and you'll find tons of, of neat stuff. So I'm, I feel like I know the answer to this question. But if, if you're visiting London, did you make it to the Eagle and Child? Or the burden baby, as it's called. We did not. Ooh. Wow. Okay. Wait, hold on. In London? Or not London. I meant in, I meant to say in the UK. In, yeah, yes. yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. In Oxford, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we went there. I went there uh, a number of years ago. I don't know if we went through in the epic trip, but that was where the Thinklings were, correct? That was their... The Inklings, which is the what Inkling, we sorry, yeah. yeah. We don't write um, as well as that. Right. Yeah. Hey, just just so we're keeping track, Andy got another eye roll right there. That was beautiful. <laughs> but hey, any association we can get with the OGs, you know, we're fine with that. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I went to that pub and then to C.S. Lewis's home there and some other places on a previous trip. I'm not sure what we did in Epic. We were in the area. I don't know what we stopped in at. Is it worth a stop for a, a Lewis Tolkien fan? I mean, if it's on your, your bucket list, there's nothing really to do or to see there, as I recall. It's just the place. You kind of sure. have to know what you're looking for. Yeah. Cool. So you um, have been blogging for a long time. I remember when you left, I think it was your 5,000 post or something. I, I just remember like along the ways, you've really done a lot of uh, really good writing, but also during that time, you've had a family and you've had a ministry. Um do you have any advice or how have you balanced that whole responsibility list of the pressures of having a blog post frequently, the pressures of ministry, the pressures of family and not letting uh, maybe like the family suffer or the ministry. Do you have any advice on that? Yeah. So the book do more better, which is a book on productivity really grew out of a, a time in life where I was, taking on a lot and I think failing at a lot and really push myself to figure this thing out, to get into better habits and patterns and to figure out what the Lord had called me to and how I could do a few things well, rather than doing everything with mediocrity as I, I felt was the case. 
And so in that book, I really trace out how I came to peace with um, a Christian perspective on productivity, what it is the Lord calls us to as Christians, uh, how to deploy our gifts, talents, time, energy, and enthusiasm for the good of others and the glory of God. And then um, having kind of created this um, productivity catechism, if you will, this training of myself, what productivity is, then actually engaging with tools and um, building habits and patterns that would sustain productivity. And uh, so it was really through that process. Uh, At that time, I was working full-time at my church as an associate pastor, as well as writing full-time and holding down a family and everything else. Since then, I'm no longer on staff at church. I'm still an elder slash pastor there, but I'm not full-time and unpaid, et cetera. Um, But yeah, that's where I learned the patterns. And uh, really those things have stuck and been very, very helpful to me. I really appreciated that book. You had a blog series before the book that I think became the book. And I was in a job where I had a lot of responsibilities and those posts were really helpful for me. And they started me down the path of reading all kinds of productivity books. But what I remember about yours is that you started with theology and then you went to tools and methods. And I really appreciated that. So I really, I really, really like that book. I think there, there's a distinct reason I went to theology first. And I think that's because our gut is always to go straight for the tools. We want shortcuts. Maybe there's an app. And if I start using that app, it's going to make all the difference in my life. It never works that way. We've got to address our theology first, understand what God has called us to, and then work from theology toward practice rather than from practice toward theology or practice without theology. And so if we lay a firm foundation in the word of God, what God wants from us, then we can implement practice on top of that. And I think it becomes a much more powerful and hopefully long lasting and effective um, system for productivity. Well, it's, it's been helpful for me to think through why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I really appreciated your book. Um, when it comes to writing, so we've talked about writing and we've talked about um, productivity. You obviously read a lot too. So I'm imagining, I mean, you write every day. I tried your blog challenge in 2020. Uh, I wrote 21 posts in a row. I was really excited to get to 30 because then I was going to email you and you said you'd read my blog. And then I was doing a PhD and all this and I couldn't do it. But how do you write every day? Like, how do you, how do you keep going when you get, like, to get ideas? And then also, do you have to read a lot? Like, you read a lot, so how do you fit reading in and writing? So a couple of things. I have the privilege of doing writing on a full-time basis now. And so I have more time for it than most would. It was much harder back in the day when I had other full-time gigs and the writing was on the side. That's when I'd be getting up at five in the morning and just writing whatever came to mind and putting it out on the blog. Now I'm able to be um, in better patterns, get, get well ahead of it, um, which has been a tremendous blessing. Um, there was a time when I did a ton of reading in the Christian world. I was reading you know, uh, maybe a hundred or more books a year that just from all the Christian publishers and reviewing many of them and really started earning a reputation as a general level book reviewer. Um, I've curtailed that kind of reading a fair bit, largely because I just done so much of it. And when you've read nine books on marriage, the 10th has to be pretty impressive to kind of climb over all the rest. And there's a ton of repetition in the Christian world as well. Um, most of the books that are coming, so many of the books that are coming out now are just quoting the last nine books. So the 10th marriage book just quotes the other nine. I've already read the other nine. So there's not a ton of value in reading the 10th. So I've been turning my attention elsewhere. And that's especially true in the last year. We we suffered a really severe tragedy as a family. And 
I ended up, um, that the loss of my son, he was a, a seminary student. He died just about a year ago now. And after that happened, I found myself wanting to, to spend time with people who had endured a similar loss. And so I went back in time and started reading authors from the 1800s and earlier where basically everybody knew somebody or they themselves had suffered the loss of a child and found some real friends in history that way and have spent the last year pretty much just reading and writing, uh, reading in the, the 19th century, the 1800s and a little bit earlier. Just as a follow up there, um, just again, just we, we've read along with the blog and so we're familiar with the, the loss that your family had. And, uh, a couple of years ago, I was pastoring and my dad passed away very unexpectedly. And there's just nothing that really prepares you for that moment. And my question is, uh, and I know this is an incredibly personal question, so feel free to just decline. But how did you wade through the heavy writing and work responsibility in the midst of that pain? And as as uh, we're working at a college where we're going to, we're teaching uh, ministry leaders. We're going to have a lot of future missionaries and pastors that will encounter those same types of ebbs and flows in their lives. So w- what advice would you give to how to to wade through that pain in the midst of the work of ministry? Yeah, my dad passed away just very unexpectedly, um, just before, uh, less than a year before my son. So I'd sort of been um, prepared in a sense for the the deeper loss, I suppose the loss of a father is difficult, but in a sense expected, you expect the earlier generation, you know, it's going to happen at some point. My dad was very blunt with that. He used to laugh about it a lot, you know, someday I'm going to be gone. And so, you know, you prepare yourself for that, um, for a son. Yeah. It was a very different kind of loss, but so I'm really the, the loss. Sorry. I don't mean to compare here. I'm just sort of catching my bearings, but, um, the loss of my father, I think prepared me for the loss of my son. And I think part of what it taught me is I need to write my way through it. Um, not much of that writing was public bits of it were, but, um, I don't know what I think. I don't know what I believe. I don't know what I feel. I don't know how to help my family until I write about it. The writing is really my meditation. And so after dad died, I found that writing was what I, it was my therapy And then after Nick died, even more so, it was really what I needed in order to process what was going on, to um, process my relationship with the Lord on the other side of a big tragedy. And uh, yeah, so it became very, very important and very, very precious to me. That's really fascinating as I think through David and the Psalter and some of the Psalms. It's, It's like we're getting a snapshot of that. So, I mean, I haven't, I haven't lost my father. I've never lost anybody close to me. And so, um, I mean, distant relatives, grandparents, and but um, that's just really interesting to process through that writing would be a means of dealing with grief. So thanks for opening up and sharing about that. I appreciate it. You, you wrote the book, uh, Devoted, Great Men and Their Godly Moms, uh, about mothers who influenced their sons. And uh, you mentioned that your mother was very influential in your spiritual direction. Uh, I remember uh, when I was working on my PhD, uh, we had one of our one of my fellow students wrote a paper on the early church fathers and how a mother's was like by far the most significant figure in. I mean, obviously Augustine comes to mind, his mother, 
Uh, and this is just like a regular pattern throughout church history of the influence of mothers. Uh, my mother was very instrumental in my call and preparation for the ministry as well. And I know we have several mothers that are listening to our podcast. And so what could you tell us perhaps about your mother's influence in your life and uh, about this book, Devoted? I think there's a lot of stigma, even in the Christian world, toward men who are close to their moms. We've got names that describe men who are very reliant on their mothers or uh, very close to their mothers, and they're generally not um, complimentary names. Um, so I think there's some suspicion of that relationship, perhaps just as society disparages very close friendships between men now, um, names for that as well, and suspicion. Um, but as I was starting to really was through the preparation for the epic around the world journey, I was starting to read about Christian figures and just began to notice this connection. There were quite a number of men out there who would attribute their spiritual health or their uh, salvation, their spiritual growth to their moms and started just sort of following in, honing in on that and um, looking for examples and found quite a number where um, a man would say that the foremost spiritual influence in my life was not my dad, not a pastor, but my mother. And so picked up on those examples and uh, John Newton, Hudson Taylor, Christopher Yuan, more, more uh, contemporarily, John Piper. There's quite a number who, who would um, say that. And then looking at my own life, I realized that I was closer to my mom than to my dad. Um, no problems in the family, no problems with either parent, but just my mom and I clicked more. We were more um, similar personality types, spent more time together. And she was very important to me in my spiritual growth and my, my spiritual formation. And uh, yeah, so it was sort of a tribute to my mom and just a tribute to mothers in general. I uh, decided to, to first write a blog series as I usually do, and then to follow it up with a, a book. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Uh, then my last question is about your new book, Knowing and Enjoying God, uh, Words from the Wise. Now, as I was thinking through that title, I I like the wisdom corpus. That's kind of my area of um, uh, love. That's my love <laughs> as far as biblical corpus is concerned. And uh, how does one go about knowing and enjoying God? And I don't know if you would be interested in getting into how what you've done in this book is, is you've brought out these truths about God, giving people a more personal uh, this this personal relationship with God the Father, and then connecting that to pictures and artwork. And so thinking through, as I saw this book and thinking through Christian aesthetics and stuff, I didn't know if there's anything that you'd like to share as your newest book. And so just open-ended, however you'd like to take that conversation. Sure. Yeah. The genesis of the book was, I guess, Instagram or something, uh, social media, and I was doing an interview with somebody recently who said, it's the first book I've ever known that began as a meme. And what he meant was that years ago, I started sharing quotes from Christians, from Christian authors, speakers, pastors that were overlaid on a graphic and hopefully a graphic that complemented the, the theme of the quote and started sharing those through social media. And they sort of, they did well out there. People started sharing them, printing them. I was going to people's homes and see them posted on the wall or something. And over time started thinking, you know, we could probably write a book that would take quotes like that and then just thematically build a book out of it with little devotionals. And so worked together with an artist, Jules Copeland, who lives uh, not far from here and uh, extremely talented artist. And um, so I found quotes and themed them around knowing and enjoying God, which is really means of grace, um, the ways through which God dispenses his grace to simple people like you and me. 
And um, yeah, so just themed the book around that and started exploring how we can know God through the word, through prayer, through uh, the ordinances of the local church and so on. And yeah, I think the book came together really well. We printed it with Harvest House, which is a perfect publisher to do something like this, a kind of small gift book, uh, hardcover, something you can hand to people, something you can put on a coffee table. And I'm very, very pleased with the, the aesthetics of it. I think it's a beautifully done little book. Yeah, and you know, I uh, I am the manager of a bookstore, so um, these books are on sale at the Faith Bookstore. So stop in and check them out and walk away with one. Shameless Tim, shameless plug. Little Tim, sorry, not little, not big Tim. Uh, okay, so we have this question we ask uh, every guest that we have on the podcast. We like to find out how has your wife impacted your ministry? Yeah, I certainly couldn't do it without her, um, and certainly she's bought into what I do and has freed me up to do a lot. You think about around the world travel project um, and how I got to travel the world and see all these cool things and go to all these cool places. And she by and large did not. She went on a couple of trips, but she held down the fort here and that's true sacrifice. And even just buying into this, I mean, I'm a writer, I'm a blogger and do it full time. I mean, that's a leap of faith that she had to take with me that this could work out. So she's been a, a huge benefit. And um, she loves me too much to, to buy into it. So she's not that interested in Christian blogs and, you know, the kind of books I write. I don't think she's read any of my books and I'm cool with that. It's, it's fine. doesn't matter. doesn't bother me. She doesn't read the blog. That's fine. You know, maybe somebody shares something on her Facebook, she'll read it then, but she doesn't buy into, I mean, she, she's fine with that. It's just, it's just not really her thing and that's fine. And uh, I love her for it. So uh, she's not a fan. She's my wife. And uh, it's better that Ooh, way. That's a nice line. That's well said. And my wife hasn't read my book either. <laughs> <laughs> but my book's basically my dissertation. So <laughs> so nobody else has either. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I do want to just ask a few more questions about the blog. And you, as you've stated, that's kind of your, that's your primary thing. Like that's your income. That's your whole life. And there's a lot of work that goes into the blog. I would like to go back to 2002. What what initially burdened you to start not just writing, but specifically a blog format? Like, how did you get to that as opposed to other fields of communication? And then uh, as, you, as you've developed your blog, are there things that you initially thought the blog would look like that you had to get rid of or ditch or directions that you maybe wanted to go, but were never able to with your blog? Yeah. So I didn't have much of a vision for it when I began. It was really just a toy. Blogs were new. This was cutting edge back then. We kind of regard them as old fashioned and fuddy duddy now, but at the time they were, they were the thing. Everybody was starting a blog. Everybody did their first 30 articles or whatever, you know, like it was the first 29 anyways. Um, and everybody had a blog back then. Um, just not that many stuck with it. Um, as is the case with so many things, right? When podcasts too, everybody started a podcast. Um, you know, you guys are stuck with it, but many don't. And that's, that's fine. People like to explore new things. And so I was just exploring it. And one of the things I've tried to get a little bit better at in life is spontaneity, like really thinking things through before I, I do it. But the blog is one of those things I just, decided to start one day and and went with it. And so I didn't have any long-term vision. It was really just my family had moved down to the States from Canada. So I was really just sharing stuff with them. And it was just kind of a testing ground for 
a bit of writing and a bit of fun. So it really didn't have any great significance when I started. And um, it was only after I started writing about things where the Christian world was wondering about them, purpose-driven life and the passion of the Christ and things that were big back in 2002 or 2003. That's when other people started reading it beyond my family. And I just started growing out from there. When did you get to a point where you realized that the kind of the I think the word you used was fuddy-duddy. I'm not sure if that was exactly the technical term. But when did you realize that your fuddy-duddy blog had become quite a big deal? Like, what, what was there a moment that you're like, oh, this is kind of a thing, you know? When did that happen? Yeah, I guess there were probably some markers along the way. But um, a number of years ago, I stopped looking at statistics and stuff. I just uh, realized I could either be completely captivated buy them and sold out to them, or I could ignore them altogether. And so I basically chose that option. Um, so I guess it was, I don't know. I don't know when it was, I guess at some point I just realized that I think if I press a little harder, it could generate enough income that I could do this full time. And, um, so I don't, I don't track the readers. I just want to be able to, to feed my family off it. And if I can do that, I'm, I'm content and I'm, I'm still at that point. We're still, still okay. And so I don't really have a great sense of how many people read it. I don't really care that much. It's just not, I'm not chosen not to be really numbers driven that way. And uh, yeah, so that's, as long as it pays the bills, I'm, I'm content. That's like awesome. I love that. So you're really seeking to be driven by the fear of the Lord rather than the fear of man. You're not looking to man and man's applause and uh, having that viewership or influence but just seeking to focus on um, uh, bringing glory to your God and speaking truth in the lives of people to the people who want to hear it. And if they don't want to hear it, then so be it. So that's really a great lesson for us all. And I appreciate your testimony there. Yeah. One of the interesting things that happens as you build a ministry or what people, it's not, it's not a ministry in the formal sense. You can't do charitable donations or anything, but let's call it a ministry as you build it. Um, people want to attach themselves to it and help you make it bigger. And there becomes a lot of pressure on you from people. Uh, you're getting in this many people a day, or this is where I think it's at. Let me help you grow it. Um, you know, there's lots of people out there. That's their ministry. Their ministry is to help fund other ministries, to help them grow, to help them thrive. Um, you know, you need to add this person next, and then this person and this person. And a number of years ago, that was... I was enthusiastic about that idea, but uh, realized I, as it started to grow that way, I, I, I didn't enjoy it anymore. I, I didn't want it to become this multi whatever thing. I just wanted to be able to blog and hopefully serve people in a way I felt like I can bring unique value to the Christian world in that way. I don't think I can do a lot of that through a podcast or through YouTube. I've tried those things, just didn't feel like the Lord's hand of blessing was upon them. It just wasn't my thing. And so I, I uh, have chosen to just kind of keep it a little more low key, keep it just to the blogging and the books now. And um, I'm hoping that's, um, I don't want it to grow much. I don't want to be very well known. I don't want to be the center of anyone's attention. I just want to be able to serve people the Lord brings along and I'm, I'm very content right there. Yeah, we, we certainly resonate with that. And, you know, that was a decision that we kind of had to think through when you start a podcast, it's like, why are you doing it? And uh, because you can start playing around with comments and numbers and it can just captivate everything that you do. And so we appreciate that. I think one of the very first decisions that we made was 
I mean, we don't care if we have a following or not, you know, this is not what it's about, you know? And um, so we certainly resonate with that. Uh, I'm going to ask our, our final question, but before I do, I'm just going to kick it to these guys. Do you guys have anything else you want to ask? I just want to say, I appreciate your ministry through years. I think I've made your blog my, like I opened Google Chrome and up popped the main pages and it's been yours for quite a while. And I've appreciated the help specifically this back in like 2006, when I was looking for help and answers, I appreciated that you reviewed like the shack. You know, the shacks, the shack is an interesting thing. We had heaven to, we had like purpose driven life. We had all these heaven tourism books. We had the shack for a while. There were these big books rocking the Christian world. And I, uh, Jesus calling was another one. And I made it a point to review those books because they were getting so big. And, um, even people outside of their prime audience, like even people in the reformed ish world or whatever, were reading those books and wondering about them. I don't think we've had one of those for a number of years now. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just not tuned in. Uh, Tim who works at a Christian bookstore would maybe have a better sense of that, but I just don't think we've had that book. If you look at the sales chart, I think you'll still see Jesus calling and those books kind of near the top. So I, I, I don't think we've had one of them for a while. Yeah, the, uh, Rachel Hollis's girl, wash your face made a bit of a splash. Oh, yeah, that's another one. Yep. But um, outside of that, no, I mean, I generally, it's like, what are, what are people complaining about? I mean, when Jesus calling was around, oh my goodness, that was the, I mean, cause our, our bookstore also appeals to the community. So you got community peoples that are hearing about Jesus calling and coming into the store and wanting to get it. And we don't know who they are and they're just going to buy it on Amazon or wherever else. So we like have this little section in the store sometimes where it's like under the shelf. And, um, if that person comes in, I'm looking for this book. Oh yeah, we got that one right down here. So if you're ever at the bookstore and we're pulling that book out, just for you and it just happens to be there well that might not be the book that we're really recommending at that time and we sometimes we would be able to point them to a, a better resource but yeah the jesus calling was probably the biggest splash rachel hollis is we just never stopped right from the very beginning and that one it's kind of interesting being a bookstore manager how bad is too bad okay i put rachel hollis's girl wash your face in that category and we just we're just we just turned people away on that one so we always like to end these interviews by asking the same question, which is, if you could go back to yourself at the beginning of your, and I'm going to personalize it, if you could go back to yourself at the beginning of your blog in 2002, what would you tell your younger self to start doing right away that you now do all of the time? So things that you've started doing in the, in the progression of ministry that you're like, man, this is really valuable as you read, as you write, as you blog, all of those categories. So what would be things like, hey, you need to start doing this now? Yeah, you need to focus on content and character way ahead of numbers, readers, eyeballs. Those things matter a whole lot less. Um, it's easy to gain an audience by being mean, by being a jerk, by being uh, on the cutting edge of discernment. People listen to you. People, people want gossip. People want to hear about names. They want to hear about controversies. You don't need any kind of character. You don't need to create good content in order to gain an audience. But if you want to serve people in the long term, if you want to meet them where they're really at, meet them in the pains of life and the sorrows of life, the trials of life, like when they really need Christian content, when they really need um, truth, then you've got to be working on your own character and you got to be working on your, your ability to communicate. And way too many people jump into way too many media with a view to how can I get famous? How can I get those speaking platforms? How can I get 
all of that stuff. Th those things are empty. Those things are, they won't satisfy unless you're, you know, you're working on character, you're, you're growing in godliness and um, yeah, focusing on that first. Thank you very much. Um, we've got a lot of great stuff for our listeners from this. Uh, I'll just give you one more opportunity. Any other questions while we have? Awesome. Thank you, Tim. And uh, we hope that uh, you're now an honorary thinkling. We know that uh, like us, you're a Tolkien fan. And you, I mean, I'm a little different than Andy that you don't think uh, Timmy's is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Um, so we're, we're thankful for that too, but thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings podcast.